My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Well, good morning, and welcome to Our Sunday School. I'm glad you're able to join us this morning. I'm thrilled about where we are in Mark's Gospel. And uh, if you got your Bible, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 11. Um, if your Bible is anything like mine right now, the, uh, the pages in mine are getting a little bit warped in Mark chapter 11. Uh, it, I, I bought this Bible right before we started Mark. And uh, most of the rest of the pages are in great shape, but the Gospel of Mark is just worn and tattered at this point. So uh, I think this will be a good reminder in years to come. Uh, Lord willing that when we look back, we'll say that we had a good time in Mark. Uh, learned a lot about Jesus and loved him more deeply as a result. So, uh, like I said, we're in Mark chapter 11. So if you got your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn there. Uh, if you need a copy of today's handout, I would encourage you to go to OurSundaySchool.com, grab a copy of today's handout, and uh, that will be of great benefit to you. Uh, I apologize for the late posting of the handout. It actually went up this morning. Um, I thought I had posted it uh, earlier last week and, and did not. So apologies for that. Uh, what I generally try to get done is by Sunday night having the uh, handout for the following week up and available for you to study during the week so that when we come uh, together and study, uh, we've all had a chance to see the same information for several days. So uh, if you need a copy of that, uh, please go there and get that. Um, so good morning this, mo this morning to several folks. I see Jessica Miller, Jeff, Jessica Miller's got room 211 up and running. Thanks for that, Jessica. Uh, Bobby's there. David Reed is there. Looks like Dave Barber is ready to go. Thanks, Dave. Uh, Amy Velosin, the Greggs, my friends in North Carolina. Uh, and then let's see, Matt and Day have joined as well. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, good morning, guys. It's good to have you. Uh, I will tell you uh, a bit of a disclaimer. Hey, Miss Miller, good morning. A bit of a disclaimer about this morning's Sunday School class. Um, I will tell you how I feel about this lesson. Uh, hey, Chandelier, good morning. I'm so hoping you'd be here this morning. Uh, I feel, and I'm just going to be real transparent, uh, family talk for just a second. Uh, I feel spectacularly frustrated with this lesson this morning. There are massive, deep wells that we could dive into in several different parts. Uh, and last week when I... <laughs> I'll show you something that I found on Wikipedia. This is, this is when I knew I had gone too deep down the rabbit trail. I was looking up some things about the Mount of Olives. Uh, and when I found out that, so yesterday Prince Philip was, uh, his, was he buried? I think he was buried, temporarily buried until the queen dies and they're going to be together. I don't know how that works, but uh, they put him somewhere yesterday. And his mom, Princess Alice of Battenberg, when I found out she was buried on the Mount of Olives because she was declared a uh, person that was righteous among the nations. This is somebody who uh, went through extraordinary efforts to uh, save the Jews and protect Jews and preserve Jewish life during the Holocaust. Uh, when I found out she was buried on the Mount of Olives, that was my, whoa, we, we might be deep enough into this at this point. We can start to unwind and kind of roll some things back. So... Just wanted to share with you guys my uh, my woe moment there. Uh, and also, so the t-shirt for today, uh, some of you may or may not be familiar with the movie Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. If you are not, I will tell you it is a strange movie. 
it is also a hilarious movie, and I give it uh, two resounding thumbs up. But my t-shirt for the day is Marvin, the uh, <laughs> despondent, perhaps, robot. Uh, and I hope this is not how this lesson will end. Um, but I have a fear that I was telling Julie just a minute ago, I, I know where we're going to land, Lord willing, the plane today. Uh, but not all of the passengers may enjoy the trip. So, so if this particular lesson is not your uh, forte, then don't worry. We'll be back into a, kind of a different look next week. So with all of that being said, good morning to some more folks, uh, to Cheryl and Albert. Hey, guys. Uh, welcome. Glad you're here. And uh, let's jump in with Mark chapter 11. We'll read Mark, all of Mark chapter 11, and we'll pick up with verse 20 in a few minutes. And uh, the question that we ask each week is, what is God doing in you? through his word from the portion of Mark that we have studied so far. So there's a couple of really cool applications and personalizations I'm excited to get to today that I think uh, underscore a lot of the different things that are going on in Mark's gospel and specifically some things that Jesus is teaching his disciples that aren't what I would call really popular theological topics today. Um, so just keep an eye out or an ear out for those as we move through. So let's read Mark chapter 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found the colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing, untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks around on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. And on the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not yet the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. And they passed by in the morning, and they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, 
I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father who also is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Gotta love Jesus. All right, Mark chapter 11. So good morning to a couple more folks, Albert and Rachel. Hey, good morning, guys. So we're, we're going to start this morning with uh, verse 20. Uh, and several things that I'm going to show you as far as maps and charts and figures. So uh, if you have a copy of the Bible with the uh, maps in the back, uh, specifically one that may zoom in on uh, Jerusalem a little bit uh, or... Uh, the area of Israel, I've got one like uh, Palestine in New Testament times. That might be something that will be helpful for you to keep open and reference uh, as, we, as we move through. Um, oh, wow, that's interesting. I didn't actually look in the map in the back of my Bible uh, for this. I use uh, other resources than that, and it actually has a map that I would have used in this lesson had I taken a picture of that. So uh, good for me. Use the stuff that's in your hand, Jim. All right, so let's talk, start with uh, verse 20. Uh, verse 20 says, And as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away. Um, so let's take a look real quick at uh, just some basic geography of where we are. Uh, so we are in Jerusalem. Uh, actually, we're headed toward Jerusalem right now. So most of Mark's gospel has been about getting to Jerusalem to do the work in Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is the... Uh, two-thirds of the way down this uh, picture on the screen. Uh, it's got a little red, uh, it's got a white star with a red circle around it. Uh, you see Bethany just to the east of Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives kind of in between those, and the Dead Sea over there uh, farther east. Uh, so th these are going to be some of the points that are going to be significant as we talk about this week's lesson. Uh, I do want to zoom in just a little bit closer. I found a really nice little picture here of uh, a, a bit more of the terrain, if you will, of the area around Jerusalem. So immediately to the east of Jerusalem is the Mount of Olives. And um, you, you may have seen pictures of this. Uh, it's covered in something very interesting. This is how I got to the uh, Princess Alice of Battenberg was, is buried there. It's, it's covered in the east side of it's covered in graves. Uh, and there's all kinds of uh, reasons for that. We won't get into that today. Uh, but we think Bethphage was somewhere near the, um, the eastern side of the Mount of Olives. We don't actually know 100% sure where Bethphage was. Uh, but Bethany would have been further east. Um, and so, so to get to Jerusalem from Bethany, which is where Jesus was staying. So he would he stay the night at Bethany, he'd go to Jerusalem. He'd stay the night at Bethany, he'd go to Jerusalem. He'd stay the night at Bethany, he'd go to Jerusalem. This is our, our third trip to Jerusalem. 
uh, third trip to the temple specifically, you, you have to go uh, either around or over the Mount of Olives. And you really wouldn't have gone directly over it. You, it didn't make a lot of sense to climb a mountain where there's not a real specific road to go over a mountain, especially when there's roads both to the south and to the north of the Mount of Olives from Bethany. Uh, so so lots of different directions to get there. Uh, but just wanted you to be able to see some of the geography here because this is going to be important as we uh, talk about some next steps here in these following verses. So they passed by in the morning. Uh, that morning is the, the daybreak watch. So this has been the first three hours after sunrise, so 6 a.m. if you would to 9 a.m. Uh, they saw the fig tree withered away. And, and some very specific language is used here for this withered away. So this is a perfect passive so perfect means uh, completed action with the results continuing. And passive means something that has happened to the subject. So this is something that's happened to the fig tree. And you know, because we just read this and we've been studying this for the last few weeks, Jesus cursed the fig tree and said, no fruit will ever grow on you again. And when Jesus curses something, it is cursed, right? So we see the result of this miracle that Jesus wrought here. And, um, and the fig tree is withered away. But not just withered away, but withered away to its roots. And this is going to be important because the word withered away and the word for roots both show up earlier in Mark's gospel in Mark chapter 4, verse 6. So let's slide back over to Mark chapter 4, verse 6. And what you'll notice is this is smack dab in the middle of the section on the parable of the sower, right? So we had, uh, starting verse 3, a sower went out to sow. He sowed some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched and since it had no root, it withered away. Exact same word, both places. Exact same word, both places. Withered away and roots. So Jesus might be having a slight head nod back to something that's happened earlier here. Uh, but I will tell you, there's a, there's a very helpful verse in John chapter 15, uh, John 15, verse 6, possibly even one you guys have memorized at some point. Um, and the verse is, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. Same word here. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. Which, you know, like, Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, these are familiar words, right? We see these words in Mark chapter 11. Right, so we see this abiding concept in the vines and the branches in verse uh, in Mark in John chapter 15. Uh, so similar concept here that Jesus is using to teach the disciples with this fig tree, right? It's, it's withered away to its roots. So a uh, couple, couple comments here. So we've just come from the text in Mark chapter 11 uh, that it says Jesus cleanses the temple. And I... I don't know that cleanses is the best word here because he didn't really do this for the entire temple. And it wasn't a cleansing so much as a, I, I would probably posit a economic interruption for a small period of time in the uh, corrupt monetary practices of the high priests. But that's way too long of a title. This is why I don't put titles on things, right? I just use the title that's in the Bible. So uh, so the, the action that Jesus is doing here is he is showing that this is not the way to impose taxes and fees on people. Like that is not what God desires to tax and fee his people in order to allow them to worship, to buy sacrifices. That's not the way. 
Uh, and I would argue that there's a parallel between what Jesus does in the temple and what Jesus does with the fig tree in that Jesus is showing through his actions and the high priests and the scribes and the Pharisees are very nervous about this, uh, but he's showing through his actions that the work that's going on in the court of the Gentiles in the temple is not a work of God. This is what happens when we become disconnected from the source. Things wither up. Things don't produce like they should. Things then start to get uh, not in the way that they were designed to operate. So I would argue that there's a parallel between what Jesus does in the temple and what Jesus does with the fig tree. Um, and some, some folks will go as far as to say Jesus is actually judging the entire nation of Israel here. I don't see that in the text. What I see is Jesus is judging the uh, sinful religious leaders of Israel. And you know, a couple chapters later, we're going to see them judge him and send him to the cross as a result of their sinful judgment. So we see the contrast between Jesus' righteous judgment and the uh, religious leader's sinful judgment here. So just keep that tension in play because that's going to matter here in the next few months. So we get back to the text. It says the fig tree withered away. Right, The, the temple was no longer rooted in God uh, from its actions and activities. And the fig tree was no longer rooted in uh, life because Jesus had cursed it. All right, so let's keep going. Verse 21, and Peter remembered. So let's talk about Peter remembered for a second. We've talked several times that we believe that Mark's gospel was written with Mark and Peter. So Mark, it could have been some type of an interview process, could have been they just hung out for a very long time. It could have been Mark was a good writer and Peter was not. And I don't know exactly how the Holy Spirit decided to use all this, but Peter has a tremendous influence in Mark's gospel. And many of the stories that are in Mark's gospel, Peter is actually the central uh, disciple that's it's talked about. Um, so remember, I, I think I worded it this way at some point in the past. The gospel of Mark is likely Peter's gospel. And as such, we see a lot of jumping around. And we talked about this a few weeks ago when we started Mark chapter 11, that we don't assume that Mark's gospel was written chronologically. Mark never makes that claim. Luke makes that claim. Mark doesn't make that claim. So sometimes we see things in Mark that we go, actually, we, we're pretty sure from other Gospels that wasn't the order that this was done in. Nothing that was not true, nothing that didn't occur. But sometimes Mark will arrange and order things in a way to communicate a theological point that might not have been the actual chronological order. So just a FYI. So Peter remembered. Now, this word remembered is only used one other time in Mark's gospel. It's used in Mark 1472. And you might remember what in chapter 14 Peter would remember. Well, this is Jesus' words to Peter where he says, Before the cock crows three times, you will deny me. And this is Peter remembering when he heard the cock crow Jesus' words. So both times in Mark's gospel that the word remember is used, it's associated with Peter, which I think is interesting because... I would still argue that Mark's gospel is Peter's gospel. So Peter remembered and said to him, this is said to Jesus, Rabbi. Now, it's interesting that the next time that somebody calls Jesus Rabbi, it'll be Judas calling Jesus Rabbi. So there's only a handful of people in Mark's gospel that call Jesus Rabbi. Um, uh, the, the blind beggar, right? Uh, Peter and uh, Judas, 
right? I think 9.5. Who was in 9.5? Sorry. Yep, Peter said it there too as well. Uh, yeah, so just a, a small handful of people that would, would call him rabbi. Uh, so he says, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed, that you damned, that you said will not produce fruit anymore has withered. Now, I want you to notice Peter's beautiful theology in the way that he uses this word, this verb for withered. This is really good. The like Peter hits the nail on the head. We, we beat on and put down Peter for a lot of different things. And quite frankly, God used him in amazing ways. And he ended up having really fantastic theology and helping the church and leading the church in multitude of ways. But his theology right here is beautiful. So it's perfect tense, which means the action's done, right? It's passive. It means something was done to it, and it's a statement of fact. So he, he didn't say um, the, the fig tree that just naturally uh, was withered on its own. He's like, no, 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 it's passive. So this is something that happened to the fig tree. So he's acknowledging Jesus' words from the day before and the withering of the fig tree. So this is good. Peter has a connection here. So then we get to verse 22. And Jesus answered, and you really could translate this answered saying because there's two words. There's the word um, apocrynomai and then uh, lego. Um, the, uh, he answered the concluding for yourself. So it's like this, I, I came up with an answer and then I said the words. He answered saying to them, and now the, the singulars and the plurals are going to be really important. I'm going to drive this point home here in a few minutes. So have them, so he answered to them, he says, have faith in God. So a couple of Greek words here. So the word have is a plural present active imperative. So plural means it's addressing the group of disciples. Present active imperative is a command to be continuously obeyed until it is rescinded. And Jesus never rescinds this one. He just says, have faith in God. Not you, Peter, but you disciples to the group of them traveling with him have faith in God. So he commands them to have a plural group faith in God. Now, if you think this concept is odd, well, the word faith as a verb shows up uh, five times in Mark's gospel. In uh, Mark 2, 5, let's look at that one real quick. Mark 2, verse 5. Uh, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, these are the, the, this would be the faith of those who lowered the paralytic down through the roof, right? So there's plural faith there. Uh, Mark 4, verse 40, he says to them, this is the disciples on the boat in the middle of the storm, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? So do you not collectively have any faith in this space? Uh, he says, Mark 5, 34, uh, it says, daughter, your faith has made you well. So singular faith here. It's good to see, right? So there's both plural faith as a group and singular faith on individuals. Mark 10, 52. Uh, yeah, this is where uh, Timaeus, uh, I'm sorry, where uh, Bartimaeus uh, says, Rabbi, let me recover my sight in 51. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. So again, singular faith. So we see faith five times in Mark's gospel. Three are plural the paralytic's friends, the disciples and the disciples, and then two are singular. The, the daughter of your faith has made you well, and um, your faith has made you well to Bartimaeus. So there are 
singular components to faith and there are group components to faith. And I hope that you have thought through this concept before because it's it's really prevalent prevalent a lot more in the scriptures than then our pronouns make it abundantly clear that it is. Because we can say the word you, and you don't know, Albert, if I'm talking to you, or you, entire class, don't know if I'm talking to you, because you can be singular or plural. So when Jesus says, have faith in God, this is a plural faith in God. Now, verse 23 the format of verse 23 causes a lot of people real issues. So I'm going to show you a couple of things that, I'm going to talk about a couple of things that could be and a couple of things that could be. So hang tight with me here for just a second. So Jesus starts verse 23 with the word truly. Okay. In our copy of the Bible, the ESV that we're reading from, if you look at... uh, I'm going to hold this text up real quick. So if you look at this text here that talks about uh, the the fig tree right here, it's all in one paragraph. And that might be correct. That All of those verses might be a cohesive unit. The challenge here is that verses 23, 24, and 25 um, may not be connected to in a chronological order verses 20, 21, and 22. So I'm going to leave open the possibility that Mark is including verses that Jesus said, that Jesus taught, that Jesus directed at the disciples that might have occurred in other places in the gospel. I say this because If you look at any cross-references that you have in your copy of the Bible, you'll see that the words that Mark writes down in Mark 11, 23, 24, and 25 show up in different parts during different accounts of different areas of other Gospels. So Jesus absolutely could have said all of these things right here all the same time. And he absolutely could have said them at other times, and Mark decided to include them here under the direction of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to leave both options open. I'm not going to close my fist on this one. I think either one of these would be wonderfully acceptable, right? Totally fine. I'm good with that. Now, I will tell you this. When Mark uses the word truly, this is the word amen, the vast majority of the time, That Jesus, when he says the word amen, he is continuing a thought that he has already started or responding to a question. So in my mind, I'm leaning farther toward of the two options here that Mark just kind of included these, uh, even though they might have been scattered elsewhere. I'm leaning toward this was one speech that Jesus gave connected in thought because of that word truly and because of Mark's tendency to use the word truly as when Jesus says it to connect and continue a thought. So a little bit of, um, uh, this is where I would agree with, uh, uh, oh my, I forgot her name. Jen Wilkin. There we go. Um, (laughs) hat maker popped into my head and I'm not going there. Uh, but this is where I would agree with Jen Wilkin. We are to read the Bible literately, right? So this author has a proclivity to do things a certain way, 
Well, let's study that proclivity, that tendency, and let's use it as we see it used here in Mark chapter 11. So here we go. Truly, I say to you, a plural you, okay, whoever. So he's talking to them collectively, and now he's going to single in on one individual. So whoever, singular, whoever says, this is the, the like if this is some scenario in the future that's playing out. Whoever says to this mountain, now we're going to come back to the this because the this is important. This is a demonstrative pronoun. It means something specific. It's not a generic definite article, which is kind of a, a general thing. So whoever says to this mountain, be taken up, which is a passive imperative, which is, I was talking to Caleb about this yesterday. It's really cool stuff. So a passive imperative, like what in the world's a passive imperative? We think about active imperatives. Right? There's some command to go actively do things. Now this is a passive imperative. This is a, a command that something is acting upon the subject to occur. So this is not Jesus saying, in your own power, you act and command a mountain to move. This is Jesus saying, if you were to say, be taken up, it's actually translated really well here in the ESV, like some other power make this happen, not the actor, but some other power make this happen and command it to be done, which if we think about what other power would make a mountain move, obviously this would be God's power. This would not be our power. Any power that we have is borrowed is used from the Lord, is gifted from the Lord, is given from the Lord. It is not ours intrinsically in our own. So back to the text. So whoever says to this mountain, be taken up, so that's the first passive imperative, and thrown into the sea. So this thrown is the second passive imperative. There's two different commands here. And the word is into the, I've highlighted the word the because this is a definite article. It's not a demonstrative pronoun. Uh, I went back and looked at as many of the earliest manuscripts that we have from the Greek New Testament, and they all point to this is a singular, feminine accusative, definite article. Like this is not a demonstrative pronoun. So it's a very specific mountain, but it's a generic C. I don't think that's going to matter for us because when we look at the map, let's go back to the map real quick. If you look at the map, where they are, so they are, uh, we'll go specific first. So they're on the way to Jerusalem from Bethany. So they're moving from the right side of the map to the left side of the map. We believe they are somewhere at the base of or not very high up on the Mount of Olives when he says these words. So they are, they are moving toward Jerusalem, right? So they're moving right to left. So let's go back and look at the big map. The Dead Sea would be behind them. This mountain, now here's the, here's the kicker. And you're like, well, what are we, where are we going here, Jim? All right, I just wanted you to see. This mountain could be a couple of different mountains. We're not entirely sure. So I'm going to give you some scenarios. And this is where I'm going to keep a, a nice open hand. And I've had a lot of really good input from Chandelier on this. So thank you, Chandelier. I really appreciate it. But if he's standing, if he's actually on the Mount of Olives, he could be talking about the Mount of Olives. If he's looking at the Temple Mount, then he could be talking about Jerusalem itself. But if he's turned around looking at the disciples who are behind him, he might actually be facing almost south. And south from Jerusalem, here we go, 
is a little place called the Herodium. You're like, the Herodium? What in the world is the Herodium? All right, let's go back for a second and look at our most complicated family history tree ever. This is Herod the Great at the top of the, uh, the, top of the chart here. So in 40 BC, I'm going to read you something from Wikipedia. Um, Herod fled to Masada. This is after the Parthenians conquer, uh, conquered Syria. On the way, at the, at the location of the Herodian, Herod clashed with Jews loyal to his enemy Antigonus and emerged victorious. And according to Josephus, he built a town on that spot in commemoration of his victory and uh, built all sorts of things around it. And he called it the Herodian after himself, obviously, because he's the most, one of the most arrogant people in the entire Bible. Now, Josephus describes the Herodium uh, this way. Uh, it's a fortress. It's about uh, seven and a half, eight miles south of Jerusalem. Uh, it's very strong. It's suitable for such a structure. Uh, it's reasonably nearby as a hill. And they raised it to a greater height. Like Herod actually had mountain had a hill moved. I'm going to read you something from uh, R.C. Sproul's commentary here. So um, let's see. When Herod built it, he used slave labor to transfer the earth from a hill to form the foundation and support structure for the fortress. In literal terms, Herod the Great moved a mountain to build his fortress. Now, the people were aware of this fact, and Jesus took advantage of that knowledge to provide an object lesson. So one view is that Jesus is referring to the Herodian, which would have been a couple of miles south of Jerusalem, uh, that he could have been seen, right? So that's one view. Another view is that Jesus is talking about the Mount of Olives. All right, great. Another view is that Jesus is talking about the temple. Okay, or, or Jerusalem itself. Um, now, Herod wanted Herod to be important. And um, one of the interesting things about this text, and this is where it starts to get just a little bit fuzzy, so hang tight with me for just a minute is that you can see things, S-E-E, -E, you can see things from a very far distance away. So we look at maps like this, and sometimes we don't have any real sense of how far away stuff is. Well, Jerusalem and the Mount Olives, and the Mount of Olives and Bethany are shockingly close, like all within two miles of each other. Like the Mount of Olives is, you could throw a rock from the temple and hit the Mount of Olives, basically. You'd have to have a really good arm, but yeah. Uh, but Bethany is very, very close. Herodian's only seven and a half miles away. But the thing here is the elevation matters. So Jerusalem's about 2,500 uh, feet above sea level. Uh, Mount of Olives is pretty close to that. Uh, the Herodian is about 2,500 feet above sea level. But the Dead Sea is not at sea level. The Dead Sea is 1,400 feet below sea level. So here, here's what I'm saying. Jesus could have been talking about several different mountains here, but you absolutely could have seen the Herodium from the Mount of Olives. That would not have been a problem. To see something else that is very tall on a clear day, and remember, this is before we have totally polluted the earth with smog and smoke and all these sorts of things. You absolutely could have seen something seven and a half miles away. If you're on top of a mountain, you can see another mountain. Not a problem to do at all. You also, on a clear day, could see the Dead Sea. So it is very possible Jesus was talking about and referencing the Herodian while referencing also the Dead Sea. So I got this from Chandelier. 
so I'm going to talk about this. Here we go. This uh, fourth paragraph, Shindley, this email you sent me. Thank you so much. Uh, so it is believed Jesus was standing at the Mount of Olives looking at the Herodian. I, I think that's very possible. I think that's very possible because he would have been in front and he'd have turned around looking back at the disciples, talking to them about the fig tree. So here we go. It, at, I, I got to tell you, Shinley, at first I was not at all convinced this was correct because I had them walking toward Jerusalem. Why would he be talking about the Herodium that would be almost behind him if he's walking toward Jerusalem? But Jesus would have been in front. He'd have turned around to talk to his disciples. So I, I think you, you're probably pretty close here. So the Middle Easterners think the original language say this mountain, that's correct. Uh, and the only sea uh, visible from the Mount of Olives is the Dead Sea, right? We just talked about the elevation difference. Now, the Herodium represented all of this political power, ruthlessness, godlessness. If you remember all the stories about anybody named Herod in the New Testament, there's nothing good that any of them did. Like it's just utterly resounding evil from this family. So... That's all great, right? That I'm going to go back to see. So Jesus was, one thing that Jesus could have been saying was that everything that this dynasty represented was being thrown into the Dead Sea. You're like, okay, well, that's neat. But in the Mishnah, this is the written copy of the Jewish oral traditions, it's believed that idols had to go into the Dead Sea to be completely destroyed, that being the only place with no life. Now, Shindley says it's a little weird as they weren't alive, but that's their tradition. Yes, get it. Uh, traditions tend to be a little weird. Now, Middle Easterners interpret this as Jesus saying through the cross, he was taking the idolatry of the Herodium and all it represented in its ruthlessness and godlessness and throwing it into the Dead Sea to destroy it. And to which I say, that's pretty neat. So we've talked about several times through Mark's gospel, Jesus knew who he was. I will also posit that Jesus knew where he was. Jesus made this land, <laughs> right? He made the fig tree. He understands all of these things in depth, intimately. This is not something too powerful for him to understand. So when he says, be, says uh, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea. Remember, the Jews were looking for a political Messiah. Very easily could be the interpretation here. Be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt, does not have any hesitation, if you will, in his heart, but believes, this is a present active, this is really real belief, uh, that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. So whole bunch of stuff wrapped up in this sentence, but Jesus isn't done. He says, therefore, there's more, right? Therefore, I tell you, whatever, now the you here is plural, again, I'm at the top of page 371 in your handout, whatever you, plural, ask in prayer, this is a plural word for prayer. This is not a singular word for prayer. This is a plural, this is a group prayer. Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe. This is plural belief. This is present active imperative. This is a command from Jesus to do this, continually to do this. Believe that you have received a plural receipt. It's amazing how much is going on here. And it will be yours, plural. It's not, nothing about this is singular. So verse 25, and whenever you stand, this was the traditional Jewish posture of prayer, whenever you stand, plural, standing, praying, plural, again, praying, forgive. Now, this word forgive, uh, Strong's has the definition as to send forth. And that is what it means. But I've got my BDAG here. So this is the, uh, 
a Greek English lexicon of the New Testament. Uh, it's called BDAG because there are four authors, and if you alliterate their names, you get the acronym BDAG. Uh, this is the the supreme level of dictionary, if you will, for New Testament study. Like this is kind of the, the top of the academic heap. So uh, if we look at the definition of the word um, FMA, uh, we see a couple different definitions. To dismiss or release someone or something from a place or one's presence. To release from legal or moral obligation or consequence. To cancel, remit, or pardon. To move away with implication of causing a separation. To leave or depart. Um, to leave standing or lying. Or to leave it to, do, leave it to someone to do something. So the idea here is that we are going to release and send away and not hold guilty. We're going to forgive someone. So this is a present active imperative forgiveness, a plural. Group collective forgiveness. Interesting concepts. If you have anything against anyone in order that your, plural, father, also is in heaven, may forgive you, plural, your, plural, trespasses. And this word for trespass is a great big generic word. It means anything from a side slip, which I think is a really cool phrase, uh, an intentional, an unintentional error, or a willful transgression. So lots and lots of topics and concepts that Jesus packs into this one tiny little spot right here at the end of this. But what is he talking about? Like what, what is going on here? Well, I'm going to focus on the collective nature of this. So a couple of applications and a couple of personalizations. Application number one, um, what something is rooted in matters. What something is rooted in matters. We saw the dead faith of the religious leaders and how they exploited the poor for their own monetary gain. Right? And we saw the deadness of the fig tree and its inability to produce fruit because it wasn't rooted in anything that would sustain it. Jesus had cursed it. This is heartbreaking stuff, right? So what do we do with that? Well, number one, personalize, root ourselves in Christ, right? Root ourselves in Christ, absolutely. We are to abide in Him. That's the way this is all set up to work. We get our strength from Him, not from ourselves. When we start to do things in our own strength, uh, oh, my t-shirt, yeah, it's all end in tears. That's probably a good way to, to, to use the t-shirt there then. Uh, and then application number two, obedience to God is a we thing. It is very much a we thing. So what do we do with that? Well, I would say that we should obey collectively in our faith, our plural faith, in our plural prayer, in our plural belief, in our plural receiving, and in our plural forgiving. Right? These are group things. Uh, probably the most powerful sentence that I remember after reading um, uh, Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life is, I am not the body of Christ on my own. That was the thing that has resonated with me probably 15 years later. I am not the body of Christ on my own. Absolutely not. It's not the way this is designed. It's not the way it's supposed to work. And it's not the way it does work. We, obedience is a we thing. So, uh, with all of that being said, I know I'm a couple minutes over today. I wanted to finish this. I thought we could finish it pretty quick. Uh, next week, Lord willing, we'll be in Mark chapter 11, verse 27, not 26. If you look in your ESV, 26 is missing. 
it's missing for our reasons because it wasn't there in the original. Uh, we don't think it was there in the original manuscripts. Um, so your homework is to pray for help in understanding Mark, hearing Mark multiple times, think about Mark, talk with someone about Mark, uh, share your insights about Mark, and then invite a member and a non-member to join us online next week, Lord willing. We'll be back at this time. So we'll move into our prayer time. So if you have any prayer requests, again, obedience to God is a wee thing. So write in the comments any of your prayer requests. Lean in, engage, pray for somebody that's not with you. And then if you are able today, go to a campus, a Facebook page, a YouTube page, or the website later today for worship. To worship this one who not only knows who he is, where he is, but why he came. And it's for you and me. And it's a beautiful thing. I hope you know him. I hope you love him. Let's go worship Jesus Christ. Thanks, guys. Thanks for engaging. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.